although she was this massively famous uh, contralto with this amazingly deep, gorgeous voice, uh, Marion was also a real person who chose to make Danbury her home uh, for more than, uh, than 30 years with her husband, Orpheus uh, Fisher. Welcome to WCSU 411, a podcast about people and achievements at Western Connecticut State University. Today, we hear from Bridget Gurton, Executive Director of the Danbury Museum. Bridget will talk about the museum's Marian Anderson collection, a little bit of the history of Danbury, and she'll preview February 27th, Marian Anderson celebration on the Westside campus. Afterward, Barbara Viegas will tell us what's happening on campus. But now, let's talk with Bridget. Well, Bridget, thanks for joining us here on the podcast today. Well, thank you for asking me. And I realize that we've known each other a long time. We've both been in Danbury for many years. Yes. When did you start the I started museum? at the museum uh, in 1999 as an internship, and then I stayed. Hmm. So I have been there uh, almost almost 20 years. Yeah. So actually, I've been here a lot longer than you have. So. <laughs> well, we don't have to use yours. <laughs> Just a number. Yeah. And you've seen the museum. You have grown the museum, and the museum's grown over the time that you've been here. And um, uh, is, you know, as a lot of these places, and Westcon included, uh, it's just this incredible place that people have heard about, but not enough people go to. I would say that's changing dramatically. Uh, When I started at the museum, we had, uh, on average, about 2,000 visitors. Mm -hmm. Uh, We went through a large period of time where we took our buildings offline one by one Mm -hmm. and did tremendous uh, renovation, restoration, and rehabilitation. Uh, As we put them back on, we noticed our visitorship jumping. Uh, A couple years ago, I would have been here in the studio and I would have been pounding the table and said, we had 12,000 people visit this year. It was awesome. Uh, This year, I can uh, say with confidence that we had 24 to 30,000 people uh, served by the museum, either served uh, through a tour, programs, events, or a visit to the archives to do research. Boy, that is awesome. It is exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. A lot of good change. Because mm-hmm. it is such a great resource. I mean, just even to visit, I'm sure the archives are great, but just visiting and seeing all the artifacts that you have are incredible. Yeah, the material culture collection at the museum is outstanding. We have the best quilt collection in the state, and uh, we have received all sorts of donations uh, over the last uh, 20 years. Uh, before I joined and, and after, uh, the community is very generous in what they give to the museum. And they're not just donations that, uh, you know, sit there on a shelf and Mm -hmm. and gather a little dust. We actively use uh, many of the material culture pieces that are donated. But uh, the fun thing is that most of them tell a story. So you have all of these great stories, and it gives us so much opportunity uh, in terms of what kinds of exhibits we want to do, what kinds of programs, what kinds of talks, because uh, we have such a wealth uh, of, of diverse items in our collection. And, of course, you're a resource for the community, too. As for those kinds of things. Yes, I am. So um, my other job is I get to be the city historian. Hmm. So on odd days or or days that end in Y. uh, So uh, I very much enjoy that. So I get a lot of phone calls about very, uh, very interesting questions. You know, like where where would this, you know, have been buried? (laughs) And, you know, can you tell us about this stone and and this monument? So it's a lot of fun for me because I get to use the knowledge that I've acquired uh, in the last several decades uh, to help uh, the city make good choices and just to be there as a a source of information so that uh, people can feel confident in the things that that they're doing or the choices they're making. So 
that's a lot of fun. And we actively, um, I use the archives. Uh, my staff uses the archives. Our high school students use the archives. Uh, our Westcon interns who are currently interning away on Wednesdays and Fridays uh, use the archives to add to those, those stories. Uh, so that's, that's pretty exciting for us too. Did you intend for this to be your path when you started as an intern in 1999? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> uh, no, if you had asked me in 1999, I would have been like, oh, no, I'm leaving. Yes. <laughs> I grew up here in Danbury, and I loved the community. I went away for undergraduate and away for graduate school. Uh, it was part of my graduate school requirement that I uh, uh, do an internship. So I came back home, figured I'd get it done really quick at the Danbury Museum, and it just uh, turned into an opportunity to stay for a short time. And then I chose uh, to make Danbury my home. So I consider myself very lucky that I got to make an adult choice to stay in a community that I loved. Mm-hmm. And uh, that I'm always reminded by the fact, I'm reminded of the fact that it was my choice. And I think that informs my passion and, and why I love uh, the community the way I do. Because uh, I didn't just grow up here, I chose uh, to right. be here. And so uh, my husband and I chose to, to build a life together here and uh, have three kids. And uh, so now we are very, very tied to Danbury in a lot of, of the best ways possible. So. That's excellent. You have to have one more kid. I have four children, so everybody has to have four <laughs> I'll kids. I'll let you have that discussion with me later, but <laughs> uh, three is a lot. How about we, you know, I had a dog and a couple of geckos in there. Nope, so. doesn't matter. Doesn't, yeah. matter. <laughs> doesn't do it. No. <laughs> So the university has used you and the museum as a resource uh, recently with our Marian Anderson celebration and uh, the great um, artifacts and the house that building that you have there and all the uh, knowledge you have there about Marian Anderson. So the museum is uh, lucky that we have Marian Anderson Studio. We're, we're uh, thrilled to open that to the public. And uh, we uh, were able to acquire the studio many years ago, uh, move it in two different parts over to the museum and open it to the public with grants from the state and from Union Savings Bank and and area um, uh, individuals who donated to to make that dream come true so that we could tell Marian Anderson's story. And when we opened it, uh, we had small numbers of visitors because Marian Anderson's story was... uh, not a universal story. Uh, we didn't talk about her as much. Uh, the uh, collective understanding of who she was uh, was localized to Philadelphia, D.C., uh, Danbury. But over the last 10 years, Marian Anderson's story has uh, caught the imagination of the American public and who she was, what she stood for, the legacy that she provided to artists uh, in the music uh, field is tremendous. And so now we have uh, regular visitation specifically to Marian Anderson's studio. Hmm. Uh, we were lucky enough that uh, to have a, a large collection of, of dresses uh, for uh, that represent uh, the different um, costumes that Marianne wore while, while performing. Uh, we have some of her everyday costumes as well, which I think is, is just as interesting because although she was this massively famous uh, contralto with this amazingly deep, gorgeous voice, uh, Marion was also a real person who chose to make Danbury her home uh, for more than uh, than 30 years with her husband, Orpheus uh, Fisher. Sometimes he's, he's called King. So if I call him that, I'm, I'm not mixing it up. Uh, so Marion uh, chose Danbury uh, and King chose Danbury uh, because it was a diverse community, because Danbury had people speaking uh, a multiplicity of languages. It was a microcosm of the cities 
that she traveled to to perform in um, on, on the world stage and national stage. But it was also a place where she could find a bucolic country setting and where she could have uh, the dogs and, and the cats and uh, the animals that uh, she wasn't able to have as a, as a young child uh, trying to scrape by with her mother and her sisters uh, in Philadelphia. So Marion chose Danbury, and Danbury chose her. Uh, the people in this community just embraced her tremendously. And uh, she helped found the Danbury Music Center. She helped us open Huntington Hall at the Danbury Museum in the 1960s. And she sang at Danbury High School graduations and invited the Girl Scouts to go up and swim in her pool, hmm. uh, paid the, her taxes by herself at City Hall, and got married in a secret ceremony over in Bethel, Connecticut, which is, which is a fun story, too. So Marion uh, was a part of our community. Uh, she was also this really famous artist. And uh, she was a famous artist who had suffered uh, so much discrimination in her career. And she made a conscious choice uh, throughout the majority of her adult career to try to fight that discrimination and to make it a better, um, a better place for new and emerging artists, uh, her industry, that is. So um, she is lauded not because she was uh, this amazing voice, but also because she was a trailblazer, because she tried to make the world a better place, not just with her music, but with her personal determination uh, to end discrimination uh, in the music industry. So that's something to be quite proud of, uh, that she chose Danbury to call home and to share her life with, with us here. And how do you know about the uh, facts about how she chose Danbury and why she chose Danbury? So there are uh, a number of different uh, websites and uh, all sorts of, of pieces written about Marion that are available online. There are two really great books, uh, My Lord, What a Morning, which is her personal biography, which is fabulous. Uh, I would, If you're going to read anything about Marion Anderson, start there. It's, it's her voice, and it's her recollections, and it is her... Um, I'm always uh, amazed when I, I read through it, and, and I do refresh myself and read through it uh, every once in a while, that you can you can see the graciousness of of the woman uh her her humbleness but you can see her determination and uh her ability to lead very quietly but lead nonetheless and that that shows through in my lord what a morning and then alan kyler wrote this this great book uh about marion anderson as well it's uh, sort of the preeminent biography and i should have said sort of it, it is <laughs> the preeminent biography of marion and it is uh, wonderfully detailed, and it, it covers, um, in my Lord, what a morning, it's a very personal story, but um, the biography, Alan's biography of Marion, is uh, provides context for that story. So if you read them in tandem, I think you get a really great idea of, of who Marion was and, and what she stood for, what she, uh, what she embraced in mm-hmm. her life. And why do you, how does it happen that, uh, you somebody like Marian Anderson is hugely famous at a period in her life, and then uh, it goes and becomes more localized, as you said. And is and our kids uh, don't know who she is, and fewer and fewer people know who she is until it uh, kind of blossoms again, and she's going to be on the five dollar bill. <laughs> well, I think you just answered the question right there. <laughs> she's going to be on the five dollar hmm. bill, but. I think at different times uh, in our American history, we've looked to different historical figures to provide us with guidance. 
And at a certain point in our American history in the last 15 years, we looked for more female role models. And Marian Anderson slowly began to emerge as one of those role models who could guide not just our young girls, but our young boys in, in how to act and how to be graceful under pressure and, and how to fight uh, and do it in a way that was true to herself. Uh, she didn't fight discrimination in a way that others wanted her to do so. She did it in her own way. And I, I think that's an important part of her legacy and her story, and that's what makes her accessible. Uh, there are multiple books written uh, on the elementary level and the middle school level, uh, and even even the high school, early early high school level, about Marion uh, that cast her as this inspiring figure, which she is, and provide um, uh, nuggets of her life that can show uh, the younger generation why she is someone whose path you might want to follow. Mm-hmm. And all of those books have emerged uh, most recently. Uh, you know, within within living memory. And so as these books are, are starting to come out and her story is, is gaining momentum, uh, people around the country are, are starting to look to her. And it's also part of the digital age. You know, we, we can scan things. We can look things up online. And it's very exciting for, you know, for those of us who have been in the history industry for uh, many years, there's so much accessibility. And so now if you had a question, who was Marian Anderson? Oh, 20, 30 years ago, you might have thought, oh, I should ask someone at the library or the museum. And you might forget you know, mm-hmm. uh, before you went to those locations again. But now you just you know, pick up your phone mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you Google search it and you'll find all oh, this great detail about who she was. So it's uh, the waves of interest in historical figures who present good role models for young people. And Marion uh, pops up. It's the accessibility of uh, the knowledge uh, that we have now and the material culture pieces. Uh, University of Pennsylvania has a tremendous archive of Marion photographs and uh, materials, and they made all of those digitally accessible mm. uh, such a long time ago. And now they're refreshing and they're redoing. And so, what UPenn is going to have uh, available to the public uh, is well awe-inspiring. And uh, what we have at the Danbury Museum is phenomenal. Mary Anderson's birthplace is also open in Philadelphia. Uh, the um, United States Postal Service chose to put Marian Anderson on a postage stamp uh, not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And all of that has made her the not quite the household name she was at the, t- at the top of her career, but we're getting closer. And when she's on the back of that $5 bill, my gosh, I think uh, the details of her story will emerge in continuously surprising ways uh, that uh, will engage the public's imagination, as it should. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think uh, it's going to be fun to watch that happen. What's the story about her secret wedding in Bethel? Oh, that's a great story. So uh, we get all sorts of books at the Danbury Museum uh, donated on a regular basis. And uh, someone sent me a book in the mail not too long ago. Although I say that and I, I look across the table at you and I have to admit it was probably like 15 years ago. <laughs> so uh, it's called Women My Husband Married and uh, not the usual kind of thing we have at the museum archives, you know. So I looked at it and I thought, oh, um, I don't know if that's for, for us, but uh, due diligence, I uh, checked uh, into the book and, and, you know, flipped through it and took a look at the introduction. And it was a wonderful collection of stories and essays and, and poems written by a woman minister, a female minister who had married uh, another minister, and they had moved from Maine uh, to Danbury and to other places, and it was about the weddings that her husband had officiated at. And the great part was that there is a chapter within the book that details uh, Marion and Orpheus uh, Fisher's wedding. 
And uh, Marion, uh, at the time, uh, this was in the, the late 40s, Marion was a household name. Uh, her mother and her sister and uh, her family members were constantly watched by the press to see what was going on in Marion's life. Where was she going? What was she doing? What was she wearing? <laughs> Very important, critical questions. Just like today's. Just uh, like today's wow. uh, artists. And uh, Marion had been dating uh, Kingfisher. Uh, she had known him as a young man. Uh, they had dated. Uh, they had separated for quite some time, but life had brought them back together again. And uh, they fell in love, decided to be married, and uh, Marion did not want, uh, she was very vocal about not wanting there to be a, a huge uh, brouhaha about her wedding. She didn't want thousands of photographers, and she wanted it very personal and quiet. And so the press and the American public knew that Marion was engaged. So it was just a matter of watching. So they watched. They staked out her sister and her mother and, and family friends. Um, but Orpheus surprised everyone. He went uh, to the pastor who, of the Methodist Church in Bethel, Connecticut, and he asked him to have a quiet ceremony of just Marion and himself and uh, with the pastor's wife, the, the woman who wrote the book, uh, as witness. And he did it. Uh, it was uh, fraught with trial and tribulation. Uh, Marion Anderson didn't even go into City Hall to get the marriage license. She met privately with the town clerk in Danbury <clears throat> and to, to get the license uh, at her own home. And uh, they went to Bethel, Connecticut, intending to be married in the Methodist Church uh, very quietly. And it didn't happen. There was a church fair, and there were tons of people around, and she's in this long white dress. And so there were frantic phone calls. And uh, the minister's wife recounted how she had, you know, pretty much stripped uh, the rectory (laughs) because they were going to get married in the rectory, uh, not in the church. And uh, she had totally redone it. She had new carpets, she had, you know, or excuse me, new curtains. And she had taken all her neighbor's flowers and made a cake. She loved Mary Anderson and, and really wanted to do something special for her. Uh, but because of the crowds and Marion's desire for privacy, they ended up getting the keys uh, to another small chapel. And uh, her husband, uh, the minister, uh, went to meet Marion and Orpheus, married them quietly. And it was four months before the press knew. Wow. So they managed to keep it a secret for quite some time. Marion had her quiet time. She uh, had time to go and tell her family. Uh, she had two photos taken. Uh, one, uh, she, where you can see the beautiful silk dress, and she's standing in her home in Danbury, Connecticut, on the stairwell. And you can see the, the gorgeous train of the dress. And uh, the best part, I think, of the photo is her face. She is grinning. She is so happy, and it just shines through in the photo. And uh, I like to think she hoodwinked everyone and got that uh, four months of quiet happiness. She definitely did. <laughs> so it's one, of my, it's one of my favorite stories of Marion. Uh, and I think that that also shows her quiet determination to do things her way. Right. Very interesting. And uh, so let's talk about uh, Danbury a little bit more broadly now. Does the history of Danbury that you know so well give you an indication of where we're going in Danbury in this region uh, into the future? Do you have a sense of that? Gosh, uh, that's a great question. Thank you. I, <laughs> uh, I'm always um, proud when I walk outside of our community uh, to say, I'm from Danbury. And that comes, I think, with a knowledge of what this community has stood for and and stands for today. Um, You can live in Danbury for five minutes or five generations, and you can find a community that embraces you and calls 
um, calls to you. Uh, that is in large part because of what we chose to do in the Revolutionary War. Uh, we chose as a community uh, to become a supply depot or a, for um, the Continental Army. And I know that sounds like a, a I, I swear I have a point. I'm going to connect all of these dots. So uh, if you go that far back, uh, there was a certain part of the population. This is the short version. I have like a 10-hour version that I could do for this as well. But the short version is that uh, we were a small supply depot. We got raided by the British in 1777. Um, and uh, the British said, well, we burned Denver to the ground. It will never rise again. But six months later, uh, we turned as a, to the, as a community to the idea of the Supply Depot, and we made it uh, an overwhelming reality. We became one of the largest supply depots in the supply chain, and uh, within six months, we were back in action bigger than ever, with the majority of the community pitching in. In, in lots of very diverse ways. And so what that set us up for after the Revolutionary War was success, success in commerce, good roads, uh, the idea of new people, new blood, people coming in uh, to work in our very nascent industries was a concept that uh, was embraced. So as we leave the Revolutionary War period and, and uh, we enter um, the early 1800s, uh, Danbury was poised on, on the edge of success uh, within the hatting industry, and we sort of uh, called it our own. So by the 1830s and the 1840s, uh, we are uh, multi-story, multi-room factories. And by the 1850s, we've got the railroad. We have this our, our own station, so we can make all these cool products and we can get them out. And so we made these fur felt hats. But the question arises, who made these items? And the answer is that every major wave of immigration from about the 1830s on saw a portion of that immigrant wave come and call Danbury home. And so the constant influx of new people with new ideas willing to work in the Danbury industries, most, most of which were the hatting industry or hatting related, meant that we kept building our community up. Uh, there was only one uh, rather uh, sad year in, in the 1920s where we didn't have population growth. <laughs> we lost like two people. <laughs> but um, ever, uh, aside from that, that, that oddball year, uh, Danbury has seen our population only grow. As a one-industry town, when we lost our major industry, as, as so many in the Northeast did, you could have expected Danbury to collapse. It didn't. It got stronger. Our grand list grew. Our grand list is larger today uh, than it's ever been. We have more people living here in the Danbury area, Danbury community, uh, than we ever have. And it's our, our strength in the diversity of our community that uh, tells me, if, if history is anything <laughs> to show, it tells me that the, our continuous strength, uh, the people who are in our community, who continue to come into our community with new ideas and new thoughts uh, to embrace the old and engage in the new, is what's going to continue to make Danbury a powerhouse, not just in our state, but in the Northeast. Mm -hmm. I love that idea. It's very optimistic, too. And uh... I am an optimistic person. You've known me for a long <laughs> time, right. and I, I see positivity wherever I go. But I get the opportunity to be in the Danbury Public Schools to visit in Naugatuck Valley to come into Western Connecticut um, State University uh, to walk downtown. And every time I go out, I see people who have the same positive attitude. Mm -hmm. And that is encouraging. And they have great ideas about industry and tourism and uh, how our community is going to grow. And that leaves me feeling very confident in Danbury's future. It's really a reflection of the entire country, right? That's how the country has grown is with, yes. by bringing in people and uh, building on uh, what's come before. 
Absolutely. Now, did we have our problems over the years? Absolutely. Um, And we talk about that at the museum. We touch on some of the uh, more challenging topics in our our local history uh, in our buildings when we give you the story of who we were and and what we've done. That makes complete sense. Did people uh, get into huge arguments and hate each other or sound like they hated each other as like it sounds today in our political arguments today? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so pick a time period. Uh, you know, it's uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And, you know, this is my opinion uh, of our local history is that that constant discussion uh, is what uh, helped grow Danbury uh, and helped us be closer. So even though there were there was division, I mean, we, we had slavery in Danbury mm-hmm. up until uh, we can trace uh, held persons up until 1820. Mm. That is disturbing. That is uh, one of those stories that we tell at the museum so that we can explore this part of our culture and make sure that we recognize uh, the people uh, who were enslaved and we recognize their sacrifices. Uh, We like to name them by name. Uh, We talk about at the Danbury Museum uh, women's role and uh, votes for women and we talk a lot about uh, how those roles have changed. So yes, Um, between uh, enslavement and indentured servitude and uh, the emerging role of of women. We talk about um, abolition and temperance, and these are engaging topics, and they show how divided our community was at different points in our history. Did we always welcome immigrants with open arms in Danbury? Gosh, no. Uh, you know, the, if you read the newspapers from um, the 1870s and the 1880s, the continuous diatribes uh, against uh, people from Ireland, mm-hmm. uh, unbelievably shocking in, in the, the, uh, the name-calling and uh, the harassment, if you will. And that happened over and over again. But the strength in our community is that although we've had these divisive feelings, although we have operated um, uh, as, a, as a community that had enslaved persons, that had indentured servants, uh, that did um, put their, their thumbs on the roles of, of women, we talked about it, and we debated it, and we moved forward. And so... I know, again, with the positivity and me, but Danbury is always moving forward because we have these discussions about these very divisive uh, issues. And that's an important part of who we are. We have a newspaper, we have uh, podcasts and uh, college radio, and uh, we have the opportunity to talk at City Hall, at City Center, at the Chamber of Commerce, and people do. Mm-hmm. And it's that kind of civic uh, discussion and civic engagement. Uh, Danbury is a center for uh, continuous civic engagement in a way that provides uh, for our neediest citizens. Uh, And I I think that's an incredible part of what makes Danbury so great. We have a a huge uh, collection of nonprofits that are focused on uh, humanitarian goals. And we've had that as a part of our community since the 1700s hmm. you can you can sort of trace their genealogy if you will for these different organizations and that is all part of what makes the Danbury community a strong healthy community mm-hmm. let me circle back to Marian Anderson again sure. when she and uh, Orpheus first moved here uh, do you think that it was a community that welcomed black people and um, brought them in and made them feel like, hey, you're just part of Danbury? 
no and yes. Hmm. So uh, Marion uh, recounts, uh, and, and I, I, this is a, a very difficult um, part for her. Orpheus was a very uh, light-skinned gentleman, and uh, although he had African American heritage, he had a, as as many Americans, he had heritage from a variety of different places and and peoples. So his ethnicity was, was he was multi ethnic, he was multiracial, and uh, he went. Marion was very busy uh, when uh, they were married. She was traveling, she was uh, performing, and so he went to look at places um, for them to live. And uh, would found at least uh, two places that they recounted in, in, in multiple sources uh, in both of those books that I mentioned. Found them, called Marion to come see them, and then suddenly they'd be off the market. It was blatantly racist and discriminatory and something that Marion had, had to deal with her entire life. Um, but... She didn't give up. She had Orpheus continue to look, and he found a place in Danbury, Connecticut, right over the the New York border. Uh, she actually wanted to live a little closer to New York, but she uh, he was convinced uh, that it would be a, a great place to call home. And he did this convincing by uh, purchasing the property. She said, "All right, I'm I'm in." Uh, he explained that Danbury, uh, you know, had uh, all these these different people and these different backgrounds, and it was multiracial and multiethnic. And so she said, "Okay, I'll try it." Now I'm paraphrasing a lot of sure. <laughs> a lot of books, but um, Marion came and she found a community that was open. Uh, do I know if she experienced racial prejudice firsthand in Danbury? I I don't know that. I don't have that recorded anywhere. Um, but people are people, and the time period that uh, she represents uh, was a difficult, continued to be a difficult time people for, a time period for people of color. So, um, but what I can tell you is that Marion was very vocal, and that after she had lived here for a few years, this was home. Hmm. Uh, this was where she helped found the music center. This was where she made deep and lasting friendships uh, that continued her entire life. This is where she and her husband uh, uh, went to service, where they, where Orpheus's architectural skills led him to help create um, lasting monuments, not just of their life, but that impacted uh, on the lives of Danbarians. Marion called Danbury home, and she did it in a way, uh, well, like that we all do. Mm-hmm. She went grocery shopping on Mill Plain. <laughs> she had uh, flowers delivered to her from uh, from local florists. Uh, she, as I mentioned, she got um, she had the Girl Scouts come up and go swimming in her pool. Uh, she made good, lasting friendships that uh, allowed her to enjoy her later years after Orpheus had passed away, so that she wasn't alone here. This was home. Mm-hmm. That's a great story. I so appreciate you coming in and talking about Marian Anderson and the museum. Great. Thank you so much for having me on today. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Hey, Barbara, how's it going? Good, Paul. How about you? I'm good, too. Awesome. So we're going to talk about uh, some events today? Yes, we are. Um, so there's some similar events to last week, regard, um, just mostly with SGA and PAC. 
but I also found some new ones for this upcoming week as well. Cool. Um, so again, there's going to be um, a town hall meeting on Wednesday, February 28th um, at 3.30 in the Student Center. And that's about access to institutional aid for undocumented students. And I forget if we like went into depth about who the panelists are and everything. Yeah, the, the sisters. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really excited about the panelists. They're really educated people that mm-hmm. like know a lot about the topic. So I'm really hoping for... You know, a lot of people, there's going to be like a little reception too with food. So, and what day fun. is that? Uh, it's a Wednesday, mm-hmm. the 28th. Great. At 3.30. Um, and also, don't forget that the SGA is um, in election season now. So, senator applications are available and they're due by. Oh, shoot. They're already due. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was Monday. No, yeah. It'll be Monday after yeah. due and this shows. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, they're due. Well, you know, now the point is vote because we're going to have our, um, there's going to be a lot of campaigning. So you're going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of people campaigning for like executive board positions and um, senator positions and all of that kind of thing. So it's important to, you know, be an active student and like pay attention to the campaign, maybe come to our um, executive board debate because the executive board always debates um, that is like later on though and mm. um, just vote because every individual student is going to get an email in their email with an individual voter link and so when you get that just make sure to like get educated on who they are and everything and then vote because it's just it's so important to vote but also don't vote without not looking into who it is because you know you might just pick random names and then maybe it's someone that you don't like or someone that isn't in it for the right reasons or you know something random like that like just make sure to like do a little research on everyone and everyone's pretty well known especially with the executive board um because like personally like me running for vpsr like i'm around all the time like i do all the events so like people know me but um, someone that is running maybe against me or maybe against someone else that's newer should have an equal chance as well. You know, it shouldn't just be a popularity contest or something like that. You should really look into everything. We want you to win, though, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> look into everyone else except me. Just, <laughs> just vote for Barbara. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. When is the election? Um, the election, uh, I, don't, I don't remember the exact dates, but it's, it's starting already. So now it's campaigning. I think we campaign until April 9th. Yeah. Oh. Um, and then after that, I think a it's month worth it. of campaigning. Yeah, it's wow. a lot of work. Mm. Yeah, last election was something else. It's really hard, but um, yeah, I don't know yet if I have any competition, um, but hopefully not. Yeah, that'll make it <laughs> uh, the campaign year, easier. Exactly. Last year, two of the five people didn't have any competition, so it was so easy for them, and I was so jealous because I just spent the entire week stressing about campaigning and everything, and it was right. just. Ugh, how many people usually vote in the Honestly, election? Um, not a lot. But last year, because we made it digital and um, we like had it set up in the student center, we're not doing it like that this year, so it might be a little, it might dwindle a little. But um, last year, we'd have like computers set up in the student center. Hmm. People would just come up and vote there, like kind of like little booths. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that it's doing like individual links, it might be a little different because people yeah. might ignore it or they might go to junk mail or something. Hopefully not. But yeah. last year, I think it was around like... Honestly, I couldn't tell you the exact number, but I think it's like around a thousand, maybe more. Hmm. But I know that it was one of like the highest voting, like student votes. Yeah, it's about 20%, right? Yeah. Something like that. So it was really good. All right. So the next thing I have is drag show auditions. So you heard that right. Drag show auditions. Um, (laughs) Not drag racing. It's uh, No, it's the Queens Mm -hmm. put on by GSA. 
Um, it's open to all WCSU students, and they come with a routine for an act of singing, dancing, lip syncing, or something else for your drag show. So that should be really fun. GSA as well. <laughs> it's it used to be the Gay Straight Alliance. I think they just changed their name to something else, mm-hmm. but it's still kind of the same thing, you mm-hmm. know. Regarding, they didn't change their club. It's just the name. Supporting uh, LGBTQ students exactly. and everybody, right? At Clips Carnival, they actually had really cool pins and stuff and, like, bracelets with the different, like, flags and all that. So hmm. I got one of those. It was pretty cool. Did you know that? I didn't know this. To be straight, it's just black and white. No. Yeah. I just, I was like, that sucks. Like, <laughs> everyone else has so many colors. Everybody else a rainbow, right? Yeah. Well. Huh. Well, who made that rule? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I asked them. They didn't have any pins. And I was like, obviously, you would have a pin for a black and white bracelet. They were like, yeah, it's kind of boring. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah. To be straight huh. in the 2018. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, okay, that drag show is in Midtown Student Center, uh, March 7th, to 12.30 to 2.30 p.m. I think these are auditions. The auditions are from 12.30 to 2.30 p.m. on March 7th and March 22nd from 5 to 7 p.m. And if you need any more information, there's a flyer at the C- at the CSI Instagram. It's CSI underscore Western. Mm-hmm. And there's an email there. It's more 182, two O's, um, and more at connect.western, whatever. Um, so, yeah, if you want, if you're interested in that. Cool. cool. Uh, so career week is coming up as well. Um, on Tuesday, February 27th, there is a resume workshop from noon to 1 p.m. in the Student Center room 202. And a LinkedIn workshop shortly after that at 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. in the same room. So I actually, I think, I don't know, I don't even remember what we talk about. But like if, I don't know if we talked about me not having a LinkedIn, but I don't have one and I should make one. You should make one. Yeah. I've been like slacking. Hmm. That's how people get hired. <laughs> yeah. we talk, Okay. I remember our conversation now. <laughs> um, and then on Thursday, March 1st, there's a networking with confidence, clarity, and connection and speed networking session with alumni slash businesses. Um, from 5 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. in the Campus Center Ballroom. And the snow date for that is March 8th. And that one's sponsored by the SGA. Oh, it is. So yeah. you're going to do that then? Yeah, um, we will show up and everything. She, the Career Center just came over to us to like request funds and everything. And we accepted it because it, obviously it's a really cool event. So. Seems like a good idea. You meet a lot of people. They get yeah. to know you. It seems like a pretty cool and like relevant event, obviously. Mm-hmm. So we decided to fund it and everything because makes sense. Um, okay, what else? There is also, um, on the 27th, there's a Marian Anderson celebration. Mm. Uh, WCSU will host a celebration of the life and music of Marian Anderson at 6 p.m. in the VPAC concert hall. Who is Marian Anderson? Um, I guess I'll have to go and I guess you'll have to <laughs> listen out. to that do podcast. You know? Yeah, we oh do Oh my God, podcast. oh God. <laughs> Jesus, I just haven't. I tell you my life is crazy, you wouldn't believe me, but, huh. I, but it is. Yeah, I don't believe it. <laughs> Not as crazy as your life, probably. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably busier than I am, and you still make time for Marian Anderson. Yeah. God. It, you always remind me when we're on the air. Like, you can't remind me after or before. <laughs> yeah, I'll send you a note. <laughs> <laughs> How do I forget every time? Jesus. All right, well, there's going to be a celebration for her. She's a wonderful woman. It'll be fun, woman. yeah. <laughs> a lot of music and uh, interesting history and food, too. Yeah, there's going to be a performance as well by John Holiday, And the winner of the 2017 
Marian Anderson Vocal Award. That's who he is. Yeah, through the Kennedy Center. He's a big deal. Yes. And tickets are $35 and are available at um, wcsu.edu slash svpa slash Marian Anderson. Yeah. But if students show up, they can just walk in. Oh, they really? don't have to pay, no. Oh, that's good to know. Just mention my name. Exclusive info. Mm-hmm. Mention Paul that's Steinmans. right. <laughs> I'm with Paul Steinmans. Excuse me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the, also on March 1st, there's a coffee house. It's an all-night open mic beginning at 8 p.m. in the Canolio Corner in the Midtown Student Center. What does that mean, all night? Um, <laughs> I don't know, 8 p.m. to... Uh, not like till dawn <laughs> no uh usually so usually there's a spot after so i'm get. i'm pretty sure it ends at 10 hmm. because the spot starts at 12 so it's either 10 or 11 aren't you in charge of the spot actually no so oh. I, there's uh it's a little hole in my heart now but um the we've created an ad hoc committee for the spot because it it's honestly a huge event and it was taking up a lot of time for sr to do and we have other things to do like town halls and fall bash before and now um like uh, West Fest and Homecoming and all that. So it was kind of just taking too much attention away from student relations. Mm-hmm. So we decided to make it an ad hoc committee and two senators are actually chairing it, Micklin Kathias. Um, he's actually a, uh, he works with IRHA hmm. and the Newman Center. And Yasmin, she's a senator on SGA. Hey, that's great. Yeah, it's really cool. It gave them also an opportunity to like expand and everything because the spot could be anything it wants to be now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not just like confined to my budget and to, um, you know, this sparse amount of time that we had to focus on it. And it's become very popular. I understand. Yeah. I missed it actually. Yesterday I went out with my friends and I was like, I miss the spot because the bars close at 1am. I don't know if you know, I didn't know cause I rarely ever go out. <laughs> so it was like, it was like 1245 and everyone's like, all right, let's go. And I was like, what? Like why? <laughs> They're like, the bar is closing. <laughs> okay. So, so yeah. Huh. Spot is open until 3 a.m. So right. Why didn't you go there then? Because there was no spot last night. Oh. Yeah. That's why, like, yeah. Because obviously the transition is difficult because um, it went from, like, the SR committee knowing everything, how to run the spot, like, you know, I, everything, everything that you need to know to run the event. Right. And then going from that to, like, having to get committee members and everything. Um, because obviously SR members aren't going to, well, maybe they will, but they didn't like move over with the spot committee too, because they already are part of this committee. Mm-hmm. So they had to find new members that were interested in as well to make a meeting time and all of that. So we still have an, I think our new one, our first like spot with the spot committee will be, um, in March. So yeah, we cool. were trying to do one in like near Valentine's day, but it just, it was way too soon mm-hmm. and you know, they're still getting to know their roles and everything and I'm there to help them, but it's, it's difficult. Sure. Um, so hopefully soon, so we can <laughs> party up till three in the morning. <laughs> um, and then, okay, on March second, there's WCSU jazz combos. Um, several of Western's jazz combos will perform standards and original compositions at eight p.m. in the VPAC concert hall. Cool. Yeah. Um, jazz is awesome. <laughs> yeah, you're right. now you're an expert, right? Yeah, you came back from New Orleans. Exactly. I was. It was honestly so cool. We were. We'd like walk around um, near Cafe du Monde. Um, there's like a huge church, and then there's like um, like activists and stuff like against religion and all of that, like making trouble. Um, but there were so many. There were like two jazz bands like right on the sides of them, and so it just drowned out everything they were saying, and it was amazing. I was like, thank God, because all you heard was just like their mouths, angry mouths. Like <laughs> it was. I'm pretty sure it was like the 
something Baptist church or something that was there. Hmm. But the church was beautiful, and it was on Ash Wednesday, too, that they were doing it, so it was super annoying. They did it a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm not even that religious. Like, I'm not, like, Catholic or anything, but, like, I just felt disrespectful. That's interesting. You didn't go in and get the ash? No, because I felt like that was disrespectful, too. Like, Hmm. I'm not... I'm not a Catholic. I don't yeah. think I should, like, you know, yeah, just because it's Ash Wednesday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, and then the last thing I have is on the 4th, March 4th, there's a closing reception and art gallery walk called Parallel Practices from 2 to 4 p.m. in the VPAC gallery. So a lot of VPAC stuff that I brought. Yeah. Because I feel like I usually don't talk about them, which sucks because they do so many cool things. They do do a lot of good things. Um, and then they'll, sorry, one last thing, pack. I didn't mention this last time. Um, on March 3rd, they're having a badass bingo. Uh, <laughs> 10 p.m. Beep. <laughs> I always forget. Bad, bad bingo. Oh. <laughs> a great bingo, okay? You can't say bad, okay. Bad beep bingo. <laughs> it's at 10 p.m. in the Westside Ballroom. And again, $1,000 in prizes. And that's usually super successful. So Yeah, no kidding. Oh, and one clarification. On the WOW, um, they accidentally wrote under Town Hall that it's that the Town Hall is exclusive to WestCon students, which is not true. Oh. I told them like to fix it if they could, but um, it's open to all everyone. It's general public, faculty, whoever, students. Oh, good. Well, that makes sense, right? Yeah, because everyone should be able to voice their opinion at a Town Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure why they got that impression, but it's not a big deal. You Everyone must have told invited. them that. I didn't. Actually, I looked at the WOW and I didn't see it on there. Yeah. Um, and then I emailed them and I was like, hey, can you put this event on there? They're like, it's already on there. And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then I looked and it was wrong. So I was like, okay, well, fix it, please. <laughs> yeah. So those are the events. There's some cool ones coming up. Mm-hmm. And don't forget Town Hall. Yeah. Super important. I we'll think all be there. We invited state legislators and everything. Representatives, a representative might sit on the panel, depending on if he accepts our invitation. You know, Good. Let's see. Um, but yeah, we've extended an invitation to the deans and the president and everything as well. We're trying to make it a really big event. So if everyone could show up, that'd be awesome. And I ordered enough pizza to feed a, a small village. Excellent. <laughs> I'll definitely be there then. <laughs> okay. Good. Thanks, Barbara. Thank you, Paul. Thank you to our producers, Scott Volpe and Pete Puccio, who do all the work to make this podcast possible. When you find WCSU 411 on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, please consider subscribing so you can keep up with all the news about WestCon. After you subscribe, leave a comment there or on Twitter at WCSU 411. Until the next edition, this is Paul Steinmetz.